Well, good morning. Let me start by saying hello to all of our guests today. If you're here for the very first time or if you've been visiting a time or two, just want to say thanks for being with us today. Of all the incredible churches in this area, we really are honored that you chose to join us today. Now, today's going to be a little different. We're not jumping into a big series. Today's just kind of a, a one-off series, as we call it. And uh, we're going to be talking about something that I think is extremely, extremely important. Now, before we jump in uh, to this topic of together, um, let's, let's kind of get on the same page with a thing or two. In this room, uh, if you're listening to this by the podcast, if you're hearing this today, um, typically you're one of two people. We've got introverted people, we've got extroverted people, okay? Introverted people, most people on the surface think that these are the shy, reserved, quiet type people, and most people see the extroverts as those who are loud and energetic and sometimes obnoxious. It's not you, I'm just saying that that's perhaps how some people view some of us extroverts. Now, I want you to look at introverts and extroverts a little different though, because the truth of whether you're an introvert or an extrovert isn't necessarily if you're a quiet person or a loud person, it's not necessarily if you're shy or really outgoing, but really it's about where, where, where you get your energy from. Okay, so if you're a type of person who gets energy from being around people, if you're, if you're by yourself for too long a time and you just go crazy, you're like, I gotta get around people and you're always calling people on the phone, you're always texting people, you're, you're trying to meet up with people, then that means that you probably get your energy from being around other people. That makes you an extrovert. That means that you want and you uh, gravitate towards being around people a lot. Now, introverts, on the other hand, get their energy from being alone. Okay, so if they're around people for too long a period of time, they're like, I got to get out of here. I just need to go like watch my show or read my book or go sit in my spot or go to that place, whatever it may be. And I just need some me time. Like I want to get in my pajamas and not worry about anything in the world. I've been around people too long. Uh, these are the people who may go to work and they're just going crazy. They're exhausted when they get home because people sometimes take the energy out of them rather than giving them energy. It's the difference between introverts and extroverts. What I want to talk to us about today isn't the tendency that we have to want or not want to be alone, okay? Some people, when they think of this topic together, they think, well, I don't, wanna, I don't like to be around people. When I'm around people, it drains me. It just zaps me of all my energy, and so I like to be alone, so alone isn't bad for me. So let me just kind of change our direction and course for today. I'm not talking to us today about whether you like to be by yourself for periods of time or you don't like to be by yourself for certain periods of time. What I want to talk to us today about is what I think is one of the greatest tragedies in the church world, in the body of Christ, in uh, the world of those who call themselves followers of Jesus. And that's the fact that people sometimes experience a loneliness, they experience an isolation that I think they don't have to experience as believers. So many times we see people that we think have things together, that everything's perfect on the outside. We think that they're like the life of the party and everything's just perfect in their minds, but we never know what's going on behind the scenes in their emotional life, in their spiritual life, in their family life, in their financial life, in their physical life that causes something behind the scenes to take what most people would perceived to be an ideal life and still feel lonely, still feel isolated and still feel like 
they're living life by themselves and it's an uphill battle and they're struggling to make it and everything that they try to do just seems hard and difficult. And as Christians, we shouldn't feel that. Not to say that times don't get tough and we never face trials and we never go through persecution and things aren't tough, but we should and we don't have to, we should not experience an isolation and a loneliness that causes us to waver in our faith, that causes us to question the things that we believe in because God's design from the very beginning was not that we would be alone, but that we would live life together. And for many of us, that's a choice that today we can do. So let me just kind of throw all my cards out on the table. Here's something that preachers like to do a lot is we like to kind of progress through some trains of thought and we try to like get you to a certain level and then we drop a bottom line and say, this is what I really want you to know today. Uh, Sometimes in that there's a sense of manipulation and uh, you feel like perhaps you're being persuaded or pushed or manipulated into making decisions that you don't want to make. And I don't, I don't want you to experience or feel that today. So let me just kind of put all my cards out on the table and talk to you about my intentions for today. My intentions for you today is that if you call yourself a part of this church, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, that you would consider joining a small group at our church starting today. Okay, so that being said, I want to share with you now why I think you should and what benefit there is in it, and why it's God's design, and how you're missing out on so much that you don't have to miss out on because you haven't connected with people in this church or in the body of Christ as a whole. We have a hope that people in this world that don't follow Christ don't experience, and that's a hope that's found in Christ, but it's a hope that's encouraged and built up and strengthened by being around people who are like-minded and who believe the same things that we believe and who have the same faith that we have. And so God intended and Jesus commissioned us on a mission in life to go into all the world and to make disciples. And he never suggested or hinted that we should do it alone. And though there are times where we are by ourselves while we're doing certain things in life and experiencing certain things, We should always have a base, a place that we can call home where we know that we're connected with people who have our back. Now, some of you, when I told you my intentions for today, checked out already. You're like, I don't do the whole small group thing. It's not for me. Uh, Some churches approach this whole thing differently, whether you call it Sunday school or whether you call it small groups, whether you meet in homes or you meet at the church. It doesn't matter. I don't really do that because I don't like to get in kumbaya circles and spill my guts about all my deep, dark secrets and have people like tell me chants to say and we hum things and cross our legs and all that kind of stuff. Um, And so you've already checked out. You've already said today's not for me. I picked a bad day to be here and I hate that. I I could have been using this time in a much more um, meaningful way. But let me just, let me make you think about something for just a second before we jump into some scripture. I think that most all of us are accustomed to living life in group settings. That whether we're intentional about it or not, we experience life, we go through life, we make decisions in life based on groups of people, sometimes small groups of people that have an influence on us one way or another. Let's think about our families. 
True, some people may not have the family lives that other people have, but we all have a sense of people that we surrounded by, whether we chose that group of people or not. And that group of people is the most influential people in our lives for the most part. I mean, it's a small group of people. Whether you come from a family with 10 kids or a family if you're an only child, that group of people is a small group that you journey through life with and you weren't intentional about it. It just happened that way. And we all have these units that we live our lives in that are small groups. And you're used to talking about your day and you're used to hiding things from those people if you don't trust those people or you don't go through seasons where you're gelling too well. But you go through life with them and you talk about issues and sometimes you make decisions together. Children, students, you have parent figures on some level, whether it's a grandparent, an aunt or uncle or a mom or dad, whether it's a traditional family or not. We have people that are authority figures in our lives, usually in our families, that help steer us in life that hopefully have a heart for our good that would cause us to make decisions to go in a direction that would be healthy for us in this life. And so it involves correction, it involves discipline, it involves punishment, it involves encouragement, it involves gratitude, it involves congratulations and building one another up and pointing out things that you're doing well. But this group of people are influential. You didn't choose it, but you live life in that small group For some of you, in a school setting or a work setting, you live your life around a group of people on a regular basis. Whether it's people you see every day at work or every day at school or in your classes or your teachers, you're surrounded by typically a small group of people who know more about you than anyone else in the world. And you can meet a total stranger that would know nothing about you, but the people that you work with, the people that you go to class with, the people that you are on a team with, They know more about you than the others. And the knowledge that they have in your life gives them an influence into a lot of times the direction that your life takes. And so if you surround yourself maybe with a group of friends that aren't so encouraging and aren't the best role models in your life, then you may make some bad decisions that could lead to some consequences in this life that you wish you would have avoided, but you didn't. But you can surround yourself with a good group of friends that build you up and help you make good decisions. And you can be thankful for that small group of people in your life that have influenced you. And so I know the hesitation when you say, I don't do the whole small group thing. But my argument to you is, yes, you do. You do the small group thing. You just don't do it in church. And here's the dangerous part that I find in the body of Christ today is that though we're in small groups in life, we aren't guaranteed and we're, it's not automatic that we're in small groups in our faith. I had a conversation just the other day with someone who actually grew up in the ministry, preacher's kid, married into the ministry, had a church, kids have now grown up as preacher's kids, one of my greatest fears, if I'm being honest with you in life, and aren't involved in church now, these kids, because of the experience that they had in their church wasn't so great. And so this person was telling me that these kids who were around church their entire life, now that they're out on their own, they don't go to church anywhere, but the statement was made to me, but that's okay because they found their own faith. And so they're kind of working out and living their own faith on their own. 
And it was just, it just broke my heart because that's just not God's design. God never designed you to work out and live out your faith on your own. Now we're to work out our salvation on our own and we're to grow in our faith. We're personally responsible for that, but he never designed us to live our faith out on our own. And so however you get connected with like-minded believers, however you choose to surround yourself with a group of people of faith who strengthen you, who encourage you, who correct you, who know the decisions that you make that cause you to be embarrassed and they say, listen, you know, you're struggling in this area. How can I help you? How can I help change your direction? How can I strengthen you in your faith? How can I answer some questions that may be causing you difficulty right now? That's not always automatic for us. And so many times we can come to church and we can be around church all be wrong. But until we start connecting with people, our faith will never really grow like it's supposed to and like it was intended to. And so there's this pushback about this whole small group thing. And for us, small groups are simply a strategy to help people connect. Okay. I'll talk more about what our small groups look like a little later today. Very briefly, I don't want to like bore you with all that kind of stuff if you decide that this isn't for you. I'm not trying to manipulate you or cause you to make a decision that you want to cause. I'm simply today wanting to help you see I live life in small groups. I have small groups of people in my life that I live life with every day that influence me. And ask yourself, do I? And if I don't, why don't I have that small group of people in my faith life, that strengthen me, that encourage me, that correct me, that rebuke me, that help me grow in my faith. Think about like your job. You have a boss, you have someone in authority over you and you decide that you just don't wanna go to work for a week. You don't tell anybody and then you show up the next week. There's gonna be some consequences to that. But in our faith life, if we just kinda check out and make some decisions that are random, that aren't godly and aren't healthy, if we're not connected with a group of people, then no one knows about it. And for a lot of us, that's what's appealing about not being connected with people in our faith. Because we feel like our faith is so private that no one else should know what's going on in our life. Yet James tells us that we should even confess our sins to one another. And for a lot of us, that's a very daunting word of instruction that we should allow people into the deepest, darkest, ugliest, messiest places of our life, but that's God's design for us. And if we live life without that accountability, without that encouragement, without that influential group of people to help push us along and help steer us and help encourage us, then we're living life in a lonely state and spiritually speaking, we will go through things that we don't have to go through in ways that we don't need to go through because we chose, and this is important, we chose not to surround ourselves with people in a group, whatever that looks like. Now, if you're visiting, you don't go to this church, you know, just take this as a word of encouragement. Wherever you go to church, if you decide you hate this church and you want to go check out another church, when you get to that church, please find a way to get connected with a group of people who can encourage me. This is a biblical thing, and I want us to go look at Psalm chapter 133. It's three verses long, and I want us to spend a few minutes talking about God's design for us to live life together. Psalm chapter number 133, this was written by King David. Um, many speculate 
that he perhaps wrote this song. A psalm is actually a song that would have been written. This was a song of ascent on his way uh, up to worship. And many speculate that this would have been written around perhaps the time when he was anointed king of Israel and that this would have been a reflection on the fact that all the tribes of Israel came together for that occasion and how he looked out and saw the unity of an entire nation though they were made up of different tribes and how it encouraged him to write this song. Let's read verse number one. It says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together. Everybody say live together. Live together together in unity How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when people, when brethren, when men and women who call themselves followers of Christ live together in unity. Now this phrase, how good and pleasant, um, actually in the original language, a, a better translation, a more focused translation would be almost a sense of behold, look at this, pay attention to this, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. How good and how pleasant. This is, this is important, and I need you to kind of understand the importance of a phrase that says how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell, live together in unity. A lot of things in life we know are good. We know the difference between things that are good and things that are evil, between things that are good and things that are bad. But many times, the things that we know are good aren't pleasant. For example, let's say that you decide that you want to lose some weight. And you know that eating a certain type of diet doesn't necessarily taste good, but it's going to be good for you to help you lose the weight. Now, the process of avoiding foods that you love but aren't good and eating only things that are good isn't always pleasant. So you may say, I hate eating this way, but it's good for me, but I hate it. Okay, do you see that? You may say, you know, I need to get in shape, I need to exercise, and so I'm going to jump into an insanity workout. I'm going to start a workout regimen. And you may hate doing the workout. You may hate going on those bike rides. You may hate running those miles. You may hate doing those DVD workouts. You may hate it with everything that's in you, but you know that it's good. And you know that it will have good benefits and it will give you results that you want. But it's not pleasant. And so you're making a decision to choose good over bad, but at the expense of pleasure. And so you sometimes have to sacrifice and deny yourself and be really disciplined to choose the good over the evil, the good over the bad, and it comes at the expense of pleasure. And you decide, I'm just not going to enjoy life if I do this, but I know that it's the good thing to do. That's how some people view Christianity. You know, it's a good thing to do, but there's no pleasure in it. No, it's the good thing to do, but I don't enjoy it. We have this misconception that following Christ is boring and treacherous and we don't get any pleasure out of it. And then on the flip side of that coin, sometimes we choose pleasure over good. We go into relationships that aren't good for us, but they bring a lot of pleasure. And we indulge in 
substances or foods or habits or experiences that bring lots of pleasure in life, but we know that's not going to be good for me in the end. So, so many times, pleasure and good, pleasant and good, are on opposite sides of a coin. And when we're staring at the side that says pleasure, a lot of times we think, this isn't good, but I enjoy it. I get a lot out of it, and I like it, and it feels right, and it's enjoyable. I know it's not good, but I enjoy it, and so I'm going to do it. And then we flip that coin, and it's on the good side, and we're like, I know I'm doing the right thing. I know I'm doing something that's good, but man, I just hate life when I'm doing this. There's no fun in this. There's no joy in this. David said that it is both good and pleasant to live together in unity with people of the faith. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. I don't know if you've ever considered the fact that if you're living life together with people who can build you up, who can strengthen you, then it's not like this kumbaya circle that you have to go to. Um, I've told you the story before. The first small group I was ever a part of was in college. And they got a group of us college students together and we sat in a circle with a lot of people I didn't know and had never met before. And we went around the circle with a ball of yarn and we would hold one end of the yarn and we would throw that ball of yarn to the other end of the circle and we would tell everyone in the circle something good about us or something personal about us or some experience that we had had. And so they would get to know us and then they would take the ball of yarn and they would throw it to someone else and they would tell an experience, something good about them, something personal about them. And before long, we had thrown this ball of yarn until we had created a web that was going to hold us together for the rest of our life and we could just see the impact that we would have on one another and I left and said I'll never go back to that that's just weird those people are just strange yeah I know you and you're telling me like your deepest darkest secrets dude you need to get a you need some friends that's what you need (laughs) and maybe I'm supposed to be that friend but in my mind and maybe in your mind that's that's what a small group is that's what it looks like It may be good, but it's not pleasant. But David says how good and pleasant it is to live together in unity. When we were starting this church, one of the exercises that we went through as we were going through training with an organization that we were planning this church through was to try to come up with phrases that would describe a lot of our purposes for the church. And, you know, it was kind of a marketing exercise and we were to come up with some phrases that would be catchy and, you know, we could put on our website and we could put on banners and t-shirts and people would know us as whatever that phrase was. And one of the phrases that I came up with and haven't really made public because I'm not a huge fan of those phrases um, was experiencing life together, Synergy Church. And from the very beginning, our goal wasn't, hey, let's build a big gathering of people on Sunday mornings and let's have a ton of people come and think that our music is great and uh, fool them into thinking that I know what I'm talking about and have them, you know, come and we'll just build this big following and we'll be famous and take over the world and everybody will think that, you know, we're the coolest church in town. It was was never that. It was never that. From the very beginning, synergy means we accomplish more when we work together. Synergy literally means that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, which means one plus one typically is two, but synergy says that one plus one is greater than two. 
In other words, like if one horse can pull 5,000 pounds, then two horses should be able to pull 10,000 pounds. But actually, Synergy says when they work together, they can pull more like 12 or 13,000 pounds. So when they work together, they have a greater return on their efforts. And I thought, what if we just got a group of people that would commit to doing life together? They would commit to, to going about our mission as a church, which is to make Christ known in the lives of people far from God, and not try to do that on our own. And not try to, on our own power, our own strength, our own abilities, our own talents, whatever that looks like, go out and try to do what God's called us to do. But what if we just live life together? And what if we had a community of people who actually liked the people they went to church with? Who actually knew the people that they went to church with? who actually worshiped alongside people who cared about them and they felt like they belonged to a place. That the name wasn't just on a list, on a paper, in some folder, in some desk drawer somewhere, but they were actually known in the church and they knew others in the church. And what would it look like if they just lived life together? And that's always been our goal from the beginning. It was never to say, let's get a ton of people to come on a Sunday morning, but Let's get a group of people connected with one another because we knew that if we could do that, that we would accomplish way more than we ever dreamed to accomplish. And so that's why every semester we offer small groups. We offer small groups to people in semesters because we know that people don't have perfect experiences in every small group they're in. And perhaps you join a small group that you don't have a great experience with and maybe next semester you'd like to try a different one. And that's okay. We just want you to connect. We just want you to get to know people. Here's how David goes on to talk about the importance of living together. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Verse number two, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. Some translations even say down to the hem of his garment. Now, to understand what David's talking about here, this would have been a reference to the anointing of a priest. And when a priest was anointed to go out and be set forth as a, a priest for God, they would be anointed with oil. And this oil would be a fragrant oil. It would be very aromatic. And they would not just like uh, put a little bit of oil on them and say, you know, we anoint you. They would actually take a large container of oil and they would pour it under their head until it began to run down their beard and onto their clothing and it would just saturate everything about them so that when they left and they walked out of that place and they were around people, people would know that they had been anointed. They would smell them. They would see that the oil had poured all over them. Do you know that you can't accomplish all that God's called you to accomplish in this life, your ministry, unless you experience the blessing and the anointing of God on your life, which David says comes from living together, from a unity, from being around other people. You may think you can accomplish a lot. I've met a lot of people when we started this church who had personal ministries that for whatever reason, they weren't connected with the church. And I would go and I would meet with them and I would sit down over lunch and they would tell me all about their personal ministry and all about the things that they're doing in this world and all the ways that they're going to make a difference for people. And I would say, well, you know, what, what church are you involved with? 
well, you know, we kind of go to different churches and stuff, but, you know, our, our main concern is our ministry. And I would always just, you know, encourage them, like, if you're not connected with a church, if you don't have a spiritual covering, if you don't have people that are building you up, encouraging you, strengthening you, then you're not going to accomplish all that God's doing because on your own, you can only do so much. But when you begin to live life together, then he begins to anoint you and you experience the blessing of God allowing that unity to strengthen you and help you accomplish more than you've ever accomplished. And then he gives another example. Verse three, he says, it's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. These mountains, Hermon and Zion, Hermon would have been a taller mountain and the dew that would have come from Hermon would have washed down and brought life to Zion. Wouldn't have been a lot of rain, would have been sustained solely by the dew that God provided on those mountains. And David says, living together in unity is like this dew that begins to run from one mountain to the next, that without this dew, there would be no source of life. And Jesus and God would not bestow his blessings upon those people. You see, living life in our faith, on our own, isn't really an option if we want God's blessings because it's in the unity that we have with one another that he bestows his blessing. It's in the unity that we have with one another where we experience life, where we experience that growth and we experience God's provision on us. But we have this default mode where we just We don't necessarily want people to know all of our business. We don't want people to know our secrets. We feel like if we can keep people at a distance, then we can can be comfortable and we can go through life feeling as if we're projecting everything that we want people to see in us. But until we begin to unite and live together, you can't really experience God's blessings on your life. Many people, they, they see me, they, they meet me, they think, well, you're a pastor, that, you know, your job in life is to be spiritual, and your job in life is to be perfect. But I can just personally attest to you that the last couple of years of my life have at times been very lonely, that I have experienced some hard spiritual and mental and emotional feelings that if it weren't for other pastors and other friends in my life to encourage me that I could go to and just say, you know, I don't, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't know that I have what it takes to do what God's called me to do. Without them in my life saying, Bronson, we believe in you. you know, and this is what the scripture says. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. And if God's called you to do this, then he's going to see you through it and you can do this. And it was those encouraging moments in my life that helped me be where I am today. So many times we can live life without spiritual friends. We can live life disconnected from people who can give us the very thing that we need to enjoy life, to enjoy faith, to enjoy this journey that God's called us on. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 gives us another metaphor, if you will, on what our faith should look like. And he refers to our faith, those who have placed their faith in Christ, those who follow Christ, as the body 
of Christ. And I just want to read, starting in verse number 12, the Apostle Paul's words to us, and then we're going to kind of end our time together. He says, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with the Spirit, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in one body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Paul says, listen, if you're a follower of Christ, you're part of the body of Christ. Now, no one says, I want to be the intestines. But we can all agree that it's important to have functioning intestines for us to experience good life. And no one says, like, I want to be certain organs that no one even knows what they do. But perhaps it's those organs that cause us to experience a life that's more pleasurable and successful and beneficial. Can you live without a hand? Absolutely. Can you live without legs? Absolutely. But why would you want to if you had a choice? Why would you want to pretend that just because you don't like the part of the body that you feel that you are, that you want to disconnect yourself from the body and just live life by yourself, Paul says, you can't pretend you're not part of the body. You are part of the body. And my encouragement to us as a church is to simply do our part and work together as one body with many parts. We're diverse, but we're unified so that we can accomplish all that God's called us to accomplish. Now, let me give you my three-minute spill, and then I'll pray, and we'll give you a chance to respond. Tonight, from 5 to 7, we're having an event here called Group Launch. It's a dinner environment where we give you an opportunity to connect. We have some small groups that are already designed and already have leaders, and perhaps we'll have others that are more spontaneous. Our small groups are not discipleship-based. That makes some believers very nervous. What do you mean they're not discipleship-based? What I mean is we don't put everyone into the same structured group and tell them when to meet and tell them where to meet and tell them what to do while they meet because our greatest concern is not necessarily what they do when they're together, 
but that they're together. And for that reason, we'll have some people who will study things in the Bible. They'll do a Bible study together. And we'll also have some people who just get together and maybe have breakfast and get to know one another. And we'll have some people who may go ride mountain bikes together. And they have a chance to connect, whether it's based on a felt need or it's based on a common interest or it's based on a desire to know or do the same thing. Our goal for this event is to help you find a group of people that you can connect to and then simply ask you and beg you and plead with you just to commit to 10 or 11 weeks of doing life with this group of people in hopes that in hopes that we can help you find a group of people that you can do life with without being spiritually alone and experiencing a loneliness that's unnecessary. Our goal is for you simply to do life, to experience life with a group of people, that you would have people that you're connected with here at the church. Father, thank you for the encouragement that we have together that it is good and pleasant when we live together in unity. And you bestow your blessings upon that and you anoint that and you allow us to experience things that we've never experienced before without that. We want to give people a chance simply to connect. We want to give people an opportunity to do life together, to get to know people, to get involved in an intentional small group that would help change our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would challenge our hearts. I pray that you would encourage us through this process. And I pray that you would help us find the perfect group of people to do life with, whether it's here at Synergy or someone somewhere else. But help us not live this life of faith on our own. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.